Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode four of Malcast. This is going to be our final episode in what we are calling the introductory series, where you get to meet Pat and I, learn about more more about who we are as people, and uh, more about Nightmount and why we started the company, um, the channel, and you know what the hell we're doing with all of our free time. So today we've already talked about politics, we've already talked about economics, so now we're going to talk about culture. Fun, fun, fun. No touchy subjects or anything here. Patrick, why don't you get us started on this topic? And uh, yeah, yeah. And I mean, yeah. I just was seeing what you would add there. I I, I had but, some stuff that I was thinking about, and then I was like, sure. no. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to me, culture is my most important of the three. I would say that I'm at least focused on right now. I think where we're going as a culture is more important than where we're going politically and where we're going economically, in my opinion. Because uh, I think culture is the undercurrent that drives all of them. And they all inform each other. Yeah. Very much so. But what I'm what I'm seeing, I am very hopeful about, I have to say. Uh, and I want to start out positive before we move into the negatives. But I think generally speaking, a lot of people my age, you know, and this could be going out to someone that's a little bit older, a little bit younger, but a lot of people around the age of like early 20s or late teens, I want to say, are like well aware of a lot of issues that exist in society and this exists on both sides of the political aisle or or however you kind of want to split it off um and i would say that depending on your political affiliation you'll reach a different conclusion so for example um you know we might be very well aware of you know economic issues let's take the student debt crisis for example so me and you and some of our leftist friends are all very well aware of that is an issue that exists. Mm-hmm. But I have a solution that I voiced in the past, which is that we have the universities co-sign on to everyone's loans so that if they're giving you an education, then they are supposed to also be there to support you to get you a job after your education. And that prevents them from you know lining up all of these useless degrees or creating systems that aren't meant to benefit you but to get you through the university as fast as possible they don't have to deal with you anymore on the left they're looking at more of like a governmental uh kind of you know solution to it through you know uh, student debt relief uh you know essentially using the taxpayers those who didn't go to college to use their money to then fund those who did so it's kind of like a redistribution of wealth from the bottom to the top which I disagree with, obviously, in the way that I'm phrasing it is very important to, right. you know, someone that likes it will phrase it a different way. And we but, had an entire episode on that sort yeah, of thing. So. And I don't want to just go over that again. But the important thing is that w- both sides of the aisle are recognizing an issue. We just happen to have different solutions, which is to be expected, right? If you're coming at it from different points of view, but you're both recognizing the issue, then it's to be expected. The problem is that between the generation. I don't think that that's necessarily the case. I don't think that a lot of older conservatives will see the same problems that younger conservatives see. I think a lot of older conservatives are still living in the 1980s. They're still living in the era of, you know, Reagan and fighting the Soviet Union and all that kind of stuff, whereas younger conservatives are now living in the 2020s. Uh, Similarly with the Democrats. You have a lot of Democrats that I know personally that are older who think that they're supporting what young conservatives are actually supporting now, but they're not because they're voting for Democrats. So they're very confused people. So like the JFK style Democrats are very much 
in the same boat when it comes to solutions as what I call the lion conservatives or the younger conservatives. Mm-hmm. So I think that looking at it through that lens, and I know I'm using a lot of political terminology to describe culture, kind of identifies, I think, a lot of what we're seeing here in, in, in conflict between all the groups. What do you think about that, James? Oh, boy, that's a lot to unpack, Patrick. It is. It is. I do my best. Um, so I think that you are correct in the sense that the kind of the old school conservative Democrat thing doesn't exist anymore. And you've got a generational divide where the culture clearly hasn't. I think you can almost divide it along the pre-internet and post-internet generations because or i would even say pre-social media post-social media yeah and we're caught right between both of those anyway just because in 1995 1996 1997 that cohort i would even say 1998 1994 you know to make it a little bit bigger is caught right in between that we remember what it's like to make friends by going outside but we also understand how all of this these systems work too yeah and uh but i think that is the clearest divide um and also where I think where you see the largest generational shift or the uh, cultural shift because, and it makes sense with something as significant as yeah. open access to the internet and social media. But, um, oh, wow. I mean, it, like I'll, I'll throw out a couple books here that I think that people should read. A uh, number one among them is the fourth turning Strauss, Howe generational theory. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm, <laughs> They're a little, acting a little bit like Nostradamus here, and you know, I'm not necessarily in favor of that. But I think that their arguments as far as how generations interact with each other are pretty accurate based on you know, what I've seen, anecdotal evidence, but also what they bring up in the text. Um, I mean, you can compare the shift that we're seeing now between generations between the pre-internet and the post-internet generations as similar to the shifts you see in the Revolutionary War, where you're pre, you know, this classical liberal idea and then post the classical liberal idea. And you can see a lot of conflicts through that lens if you so choose, uh, which is where they start with the American experiment um, for their generational theory. I think uh, if you want to understand the shift in culture as well, I would recommend Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life as another book for that. Not necessarily as like looking at different generations, but looking at what is now considered to be an effective an effective life that you can take um and i think it's again it's a it's a combination of our history and through a through a modern lens that siphons off some stuff that might have been cultural at the time or limited by technology but then is you know taking those good moral ideas and then turn it into modern ideas mm-hmm. and turn it into the modern situation so like that would be another great example of a book that you could look to um do you so, have any, any suggestions other than that uh no unfortunately i haven't read quite as heavily as i would like to after college um uh, i mean i i would say uh anything by thomas soul is great yeah uh it's trickle down economics by him if you're looking for a nice economics book that's 14 pages long definitely would recommend that book uh it just goes into how how taxation as affects the economy in a lot of different ways but so i think i don't i want to pull us out of the weeds a little bit yeah mostly myself out so of the weeds. i want to i want to posit something but, here yeah. though sure, sure, so sure. You know, trying kind of pivoting to the negative. Um, we are in a culture war right now. There is a debate. I think we're in a religious war. We're not necessarily like 
cult and culture come from the same word, right? Culture is derived from cult, right? And a cult and religion, there's, diff there's different definitions for both, but they're effectively related. Uh, and I think you see this, I mean, the IRS just released, uh, <laughs> I was telling you about this earlier today. Mm -hmm. The IRS actually denied a Catholic, or not a, maybe it was a Catholic, it was a Christian charity, their 501c3 status, which is nonprofit um, and non-political because they espoused values from the Bible and the IRS under Joe Biden argued that the Bible is a Republican uh, political document. Well, so Joe Biden's just salty that he can't take communion anymore because he violates well, it, it, basically. Oh, there goes Ryan Reynolds. Yep. There goes Ryan Reynolds. Uh, because... That is a different issue, but I a hundred percent agree with the Catholic bishops on it. Be, and it's out of compassion for Joe Biden. If he's a Catholic, if no, and this is only if you're a Catholic, if you're not a Catholic, don't talk about this, right? Like, it's you don't understand what's going on for the most part. It's not an attack on Joe Biden. What it is, is it's actually trying to save his soul. If you're Catholic, you believe in this, right? Which is why I'm saying, if you're not Catholic, don't, it's fine. You can, you can no. stay out well, of it. Well, I get it. I'm a, the, I'm a theology in, minor from a Catholic university. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to say, like, you can't have a say. I'm like, you, you don't understand because you're coming from it as a, like, you think that we're attacking him. No, we're actually trying to be very compassionate to him by saying, hey, you need to get your soul in order. And if you exist in the state of mortal sin and you try to take communion, that's another mortal sin. You're compounding sins here. Um, you're you're going to eat your own demise, basically. It's, I think it's it's a bastardization of a quote that uh, a saint has made. So I'm not I'm not a Protestant, so I can't say all this stuff from memory. <laughs> but uh, um, I just have to know what to do. But yeah. So regardless of what they call it, culture, or religious war, whatever. Regardless. We we've got we have this divide now where what it means to be American is different to every single individual, which we're an individualist nation. We pride ourselves on each individual individual being different, having their own opinions. And that's a good thing. Um, but you still have to have a national identity. So what used to unify Americans was tended to be, is my mic on? Yeah, it's on. Okay. So I want to make sure it tended to be, um, freedom, the belief in a, some sort of democratic slash Republican system. Um, individual responsibility individual liberty and uh well at least for the last 80 years anti-communism um yeah. for a period it was also the second oldest religion i'm sorry communism is the second oldest religion is the word the serpent spoke in the garden ye shall be as gods that's what communists believe they they, they, they think that they can be essentially in control of everything like a god uh-huh anyway Sorry to segue, segue off. Like I, like I said, culture is the thing that I'm the most passionate about. That's that's fair. And I'm all politics and economics. Sorry. So, yes, um, yes, I'm politics and culture. Politics, economics. So this is why we work so well together. Yes, exactly. Um, but we don't have that anymore. So there, there are people like so. You've got the far left now who claims that being communist or socialist is what it means to be American, and then you have you know, more traditional conservatives saying, no, it's, you know, um, know classical liberalism. The American, they don't fly the American flag. They fly the, they fly the progress pride flag. Yes. But they're taking advantage of the freedoms of America to do it. Yes, Because yeah. in 70% of the countries on earth, they wouldn't be allowed to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. hundred percent. Here they are. They're, you're allowed to form your own identity. And I think I, I actually saw this transit, this transition coming in, uh, like, middle to early high school when we because when i was young we talked about america as a melting pot 
You know, all these different cultures from around the world, they came together. You, they took the best of every culture and created America. A new thing. Yeah, it was, it was a new American culture. You were proud to be an American. You were an American first and Italian second, American first and Nigerian second or Mexican second. Um, yeah. But then they started talking about it instead of a melting pot, it was a, uh, a tossed salad. So you had yeah. all these different components yeah. that came together. They were in this bowl, but they were separate. And yeah. that's... That's what I heard too. Yeah. And when that rhetoric started popping up in schools, that's when I really started to notice how we were transitioning from a unified... Uh, and it was obviously happening before then. But that's when I started to notice. We transitioned yeah. from a unified, what it means to be America, that being, you're, being American is something to be proud of. You are American first into everybody is different. You're separated based on... Um, sexual identity, sexual preference. A lot of things that we're seeing right now go into that too. No, I, th I think you're absolutely right. I mean, think about cultural appropriation. You know, mm -hmm. you can't take the best things from these cultures because now you're racist or whatever. And that's, honestly, that is, wow. So that's, that, that is racism at its finest right there. And I think well, that the idea of a toss, coming, coming at it from the toss salad idea in and of itself is racist because at that point you're basically espousing separate but equal. Yeah, and I think that the important distinction here that we're talking about with this with this part of the culture is so on the right you have the melting pot idea, effectively. Mm -hmm. Right. You you have everyone comes together and is just, you know, we take the best that we want. I take the best I take the things that I like from Irish culture, I take the things I like from Italian culture, I take the things that I like from Japanese culture. You know, me making fried rice, is that like a problem? I like fried rice, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to make it, I'm going to eat it. You know, you do the same thing. You've got a Chinese flag behind you, uh, mm -hmm. you know, so uh, the real China. Uh, yeah. Yep. Absolutely. The Republic so, of China. Yeah. And I mean, I've got a, I've got a Pokemon mug. This is from Japan. You know, like the, the IP is from Japan. Uh, you know, we, we take the best things. We take the things that we like from these cultures, not out of disrespect, but out of pure respect for what they've contributed to humanity as a whole. Um, and in America, which is the really the only heterogeneous society, which is why we have unique issues to this country. And I'm not saying that's because, oh, well, this race does this or this culture. Does... No, it's just because you're going to you constantly have cultures clashing with each other. Mm -hmm. And over the years, we've overcome a lot of these issues, sometimes through war, but most of the time peacefully. I mean, honestly, um, you, you know, New York, Chicago, the fact that those places were as peaceful as they are, which isn't that peaceful, considering that they have all of these different cultures constantly coming in contact with each other on a regular basis, you'd expect like there to be all out war constantly because you have just all of these different ways of viewing the world just smashing into each other. But because of how we operate as a creedal nation, we kind of avoid that, which is why American culture is awesome and why it's actually, it is the easiest culture for another nation to adopt because it's so easy to slot yourself in individually into the culture. You just, you can assimilate right away. You just have, you have to accept a couple of basic premises, you know, freedom, uh, you know, uh, self-respect, respect for others, uh, speaking English. That is one of <laughs> the things that we do here, uh, you know. And, and I have to say that the left, the cultural left specifically, is trying to dismantle that culture through whatever way they can. Um, introducing new national languages that appears on its face to be very inclusive correct you know like oh these people don't have to learn english now when they come here but 
it divides the country from those who know Spanish and don't know English and those who know English and don't know Spanish. They can no longer communicate with each other. It, it creates a rift, right? And then what I was talking about earlier with cultural appropriation, they're essentially trying to slice off things from these cultures that we're taking in, from these immigrants that we're having assimilated to us, so that we can't all appreciate everything together. And they're doing this through a variety of ways. They're doing all black graduation, right? That's another thing where you're trying to slice off that section of, uh, of society. And you know, these are very small instances and one on its own might not be a problem, but when you have all of them together, you start creating these rifts in society where we see a lot of racialized groups come out. And this is where we also see, if you take a Pew Research, uh, I think it was Pew that did this, this poll, that did the racial consciousness poll, you have white people effectively have a 15% racial consciousness where 15% of white people think, yeah, my race matters, but you have any other race, it's over 50%. And then for black people, it's over 70% because they're told that they are different. They're, they might be special, they might be this way, they might be that way, but they're essentially told that they're different. And I well, think that that's a big problem. Yeah, it's a huge problem and it's dangerous because, so ever since the end of the civil rights, well, the end of Jim Crow and the success of the civil rights movement, we've seen, you know, the idea that not only just, you know, racial supremacy, um, but also the idea that you're, you're uncomfortable with other cultures, other ideologies, that's gone away to the point where 50 to 60 years ago, we would have locked someone up for being a communist. And now we've got communists marching through the streets, burning communist. down buildings. So, and they're getting off of scot-free. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, we, we've become a much more accepting society, a much more inclusive society. And I think that it allowed us to better embrace the, again, the best parts of each culture, the best parts of each person into the American identity. But what the left wants now is it's outright segregation, not just based on race, but based on every possible divide. It gives them more power. If they if they separate out the population, we can't band together. Yes. Like that's that's what they're doing. Yes. And let's not forget this 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 is rooted in identity politics because yeah. you know, if at the end of the day, if the masses are fighting each other over, you know, petty BS, then it's you it's very easy to divide and conquer. Um, so let's look at the devil doesn't care who does the hating. He just wants the hating done. Yes. That's so, it. <laughs> so let's look at some of the, things... the, the media, uh, mediocre elite that we have in this country feel the same way. Yeah. <laughs> so let's look at some of the things that have been happening recently. I mean, you've got race-based struggle sessions, um, yeah, from, uh, from the by large mansion crowd. Yes. We now yeah. have, uh, racially segregated dorms are back. Um, you're only allowed to speak if you have certain, um it, it, your melanin content well no it's not it's not even it's not just race though it's also about sexual orientation oh, sexual yeah, yeah. preference sexual identity um you yeah, know there was that want things to be normalized they seem to want a lot of special privileges as well well like and, normalize it, something like that but i also get a lot of recognition for it yes if well normal, it, it, it. it really comes down to power and control because oh, they want absolutely. their group to be the supreme group so like so let's look at the uh there was a um seattle uh pride event uh this last week as of when we're recording this and it required that all of the white lgbtq plus members pay reparations to the lgbtq plus members of color in order to attend the event so now you've got, and this is this also feeds into 
something called the fir- circular firing squad where yeah. each group each group that they, they first they come after traditional traditionalists um the american identity once they've overcome that which they by and large have at least in the mainstream media and social media they start going after each other because it's 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 all about dominance it's all about control so they keep they then begin splitting themselves up it's no longer left versus right it's the right and then the left all fighting the right and amongst themselves um and it's just a race to see who can be the most pure that's a majority either so Mm -hmm. the elite stay the elite and they don't get voted out exactly and this is how we see you know with the 2020 election um there's so much fighting between the groups that the elites were able to retake power yeah and And this is this I was going to say, you know, yeah, this is not exclusive to the left. Like, this is something yeah. that the right was doing for quite some time before. And we have, we have, the right has its own, you know, well, class, uh, its own you elites. Say the right, when you say the right, I'm assuming you're talking about like the elite right. Yes. The, no, the, yes, the establishment this, right. This is the problem with elite. <laughs> you know, especially when your elite are a bunch of dummies <laughs> and bad people. Is, is, you know, we had some elite that were doing great things in the past. We've also had some elite that are doing bad things in the past. You know, it, but being elite means that your, your skills are that much better and that much easier to express. But also your foibles are also that much better and that much easier to express. Yeah. Problem is, right now, a lot of the elites are more foible than good. And you know, I, they're, think, they're, I think this goes back to the idea yeah. that we were talking about in the beginning with, you know, generations and whatnot. So if we look at who our elites are, they are yeah. at this point, by and large, boomers or um, people who are in a multi-generational or they are from a family that has four generations held some sort of power. So yeah. we have political dynasties such as the Bushes, the Clintons and now the Bidens um, that have four generations and Kennedys held power. You know, I like John F. Kennedy. He worked his way up from the bottom to become the president. And, but now you look at multiple generations later and the Kennedy family. Fucking women in the back of his car. Yeah. Yeah. The Kennedy family has completely fallen, (laughs) fallen to pieces. And it's the idea that first, well, first absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. These people don't have absolute power in the sense that, you know, with the original context of the quote from Machiavelli. Um, But they have held, they've known nothing but power and luxury for their entire life. So they want more and they're willing to do anything to get it. Um, Also. The baseline is up here. Whereas for us, our baseline's down here. Yes. You know, I went to student council election. Like this is a big deal for them. It's like, Oh, what? I didn't get food brought to me in exactly 30 seconds. This is a problem. You know, like, and you see that's, this that's you see this not just in their in their policies or in yeah. but also in their behavior um you've got was it was it clinton who was requiring uh air force officers to fill her wine glass for her and you know but it's also it's not just people that have held power for a long time it's also the idea that each you know um good times make weak men weak men make hard times hard times like strong men because we had good times yeah you know so these these people grew up after world war ii the strong the strong generation that fought world war ii created the greatest boom that we've ever seen in the history of humankind um really tough all the survivors of the world war ii and the korean war and all that nonsense 
were really tough people. They made really good things. And now, now we're we they but they made really good times. But that created really a really weak generation. I think that comparatively speaking, the, are to the greatest generation, the boomers are the 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 weak generation that created that have James, started James. to create the hard times. I, that's bad. It's really bad. But we're in the weak. We're in the bad times now, right? Like according to Strauss, how generational theory, and even just looking at weak men creating bad times, mm-hmm. we're in the bad times. Mm-hmm. We will be the strong generation if we can do it. Well, I was gonna like, say, I hope. I I I'm pretty optimistic about it. A lot of what I'm like I said, people our age are recognizing the issues. We're coming at it from different directions, but. I think it's important to note the difference in tactics as well as the difference in solutions. Mm-hmm. So, for example, um, we see that trans people have a suicidality rate of over 50%. I think it's like 52%. Suicidality rate means suicide attempts, right? So it's not necessarily pure suicide. Compare that to Jews during a very, very bad period of time uh, in ghettos in a certain country. They had a 6% suicidality rate. At that time, and you can look this up. This is well documented. You cannot tell me that in the United States right now, it is worse than that time. And everyone knows which skinny mustache man I'm talking about and what he was doing. Okay. No. And and, but but, let me finish. Let me finish real quick. But that leads to two different solutions, right? So on the right, we have the solution of, okay, well, clearly these people are affected by something. We need to get them some mental health. We need to let them experience reality we need to help them experience reality we don't want to go along with their delusions and now i have people that i know very well that are light that are trans okay and i have a lot of compassion for them because I've, I've i've known one in particular for several 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 years but my compassion is not enabling their issues okay on the left you have this whole pronoun movement right where it's like oh you need to as a straight person, you tell people your pronouns because apparently they can't guess that I have a beard, I'm a guy, you know, or you have certain parts that are women parts and then you're a girl, right? But there's there's this girl I was talking to who's a hardcore leftist. She's very young and she was super excited about getting these pronoun pins. And the tactics of this conversation are very important. I said, lol. And, and she's like, what's so funny? And I was like, the fact that you're excited about these pronoun pins, these are so dumb. And then she goes, they're just pins. You know, and then the, then the conversation kind of flowed like that. And I, I would assert something. I would assert, I think that this shift in society to my pronouns are X as a way of hiding the tra- issues with trans people, uh, like not the issues like, oh, they're bad people, but like the issues that they're facing um, and, and trying to diverting and trying to say, why do you care so much? Why is this such a big deal? Well, okay, number one, I care because it's a big deal to you, right? <laughs> you wouldn't be fighting this hard to get all this crap done if it wasn't a big deal to you. Number two, why it's a big deal? Because it's very harmful to society, actually, to have uh, all of this confusion about what is a guy, what is a girl, and you know how to tell, <laughs> effectively. It's very dangerous society because you have to think about kids. You know, you have kids grow up and they just don't know. They don't know anything. Uh, you have to teach them all of this stuff. And if you teach them stuff that will break their brains like you can't interact with people because you might die from a cough like that's pretty you know for a two-year-old that or a three-year-old or four-year-old that's pretty damaging to their their ability to socialize if you teach them oh boys and girls don't exist you can be whatever you want mutilate your genitals like okay well that's probably going to harm them and it has i mean abigail schreier has a really good book out 
uh, and a lot of good documentation on exactly how the transgender movement, the trans agenda, right, has affected young girls, particularly, you know, if you care about the LGBT community, particularly young lesbians, we've seen just an immediate drop off in the lesbian population. Like the, the sector of the population that is lesbian has taken a nosedive in the last couple of years. We've seen a sector of the population, the trans, uh, a trans population go up, right? And the argument is that a butch girl that would be lesbian is now being encouraged to be trans and social contagions move faster among uh, women than they do men. So we're seeing this social contagion of being trans, getting all that attention, getting all that positive reinforcement, moving through like a virus, which is why it's called social cont uh, uh, contagion, through these groups of girls. That's the same thing with anorexia, same thing with bulimia. We see the exact same things, okay? It is very dangerous to society to promote this stuff, okay? It's like saying, oh, well, you know, I know this person who's anorexic or has some kind of form of body dysmorphia, and I want to support them, so I'm going to say I have it too, or, or I have this eating disorder or whatever. I don't actually, but I want to, you know, I want to be around them and, and, and give them some sense of security, Okay, well, if you try start normalizing that, people are going to actually do that. And anorexia and bulimia are very, very destructive to people in general. It's not good for your health. You need to eat and you need to eat properly. So, but like that, those kind of tactics of trying to obfuscate the issue, trying to hide behind, well, why do you care so much? And trying to point to people and say that they're the aggressors when these people are actually the aggressors. That is how that they, they attack you. And if you just stick to your guns and you say, no, it's important because X, Y, and Z. And if you don't see that, that's fine. You're just blind to all the damage you're doing, you know, and, mm -hmm. and it's difference in tactics. So I think another important question to ask to, to get the root of all of this is why have we seen, so there's this huge uptick in younger, particularly uh, younger generation, millennial and Gen Z joining these uh some some of these movements not just the you know trans lgbtq because yeah, yeah. there's those... a bunch of i mean the QAnon movement as well right like yes you, you see you right. see this on the right obviously yeah. you know there's QAnon, there's alex jones there was alex there's jones supporters yeah. um then you'll see you know blm antifa that sort of thing yeah, what is yeah what is what is drawing drawing people to these organizations to these it, i and i think the answer is twofold so, yeah, sure. and I am, ex I want to, I want to clarify that I am excluding because, you know, with movements like LGBTQ and, um, the transgender movement, there are people who have body dysmorphia. There are people who have, you know, who they're, they're born with a sexual preference and that's, that's okay. Like they need to have, you know, they, they, they are human beings yeah, and deserve to be treated like human your beings. Sexual preference being your identity and having a sexual preference. Yes, that, there, there is a difference between like, that. I, I have a bunch of friends that are you know, bisexual, gay, lesbian, whatever. I had no idea until they told me. Yeah, like, because it's not their it idea. Didn't, it didn't throw me for a loop either. Like, it, like I was kind of like, oh, I didn't know that. But like, it wasn't like, oh, you know, like, I'm scared now. It's like. Right, no, but, but there's people that that all they wear is rainbow colors, and I'm like, I don't like you. Well, it's <laughs> it, so there's a difference between it being their your identity and it exactly. just being a part of who you it's are. Part of your component and of who you are. I, I wanted to clarify before I got into this that I'm you know I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with with super anti-gay. That's no. that's what you say. No, my fiance is. Um, yeah. So. I don't think, yeah. <laughs> 
Your, your fiance is a fiend-type monster from the card game Yu-Gi-Oh. Absolutely. Um, but there's nothing... There's nothing wrong with being with with having that or or being that sort of person. What's wrong is all these people they they join these groups because they they long to be part of something. They don't know, you know, they they're told from the time they enter school to the time they leave school, everything to do. They're they're told by their parents or school what to be a part of, what they should be, and then they they get out there into the real world and they they're lost. They don't know what to do with their lives. They don't know how they, they want to make a difference on the world, but they don't know how to. They're confused. And so they latch on to the first ideology that comes their way. QAnon, BLM, Antifa. Yeah. Whatever communism. it is from the right or the left, they're going to try to find a group to fit in with. Exactly. And that's how these groups can prey on the younger generations at, to be just useful idiots. And that's, that's why we see all these young kids you know, burning cities to the ground while their leaders have multiple million-dollar houses. Because they're exploiting them, plain and simple. And not only that, but these movements are predicated on problems that by and large can be solved. They either first don't exist or can be yeah. solved with a moderate amount of dialogue. Because the, BL the BLM movement, the, the problem, a lot of the problems that they talk about don't exist. They either don't, again, they don't exist or... Yeah, or they can be solved with a moderate amount of dialogue because, yeah. yes, there are problems with police brutality. Some of them are race-motivated. Many of them are not. Either way, we can sit down, have a dialogue, and the figure it out. is isn't that high either. Even, like, yes, there are, there, are some, there are some police officers that are no good. I think we've seen a lot of them over the last year enforcing these stupid mandates. Yeah. But, uh, in a lot of ways, I mean, this was put to bed like years ago with the Twilight Theory. Uh, are you familiar with this? I'm not. Okay, so the Twilight Theory, uh, so this is in criminology. So essentially, they, uh, I think it was in like Massachusetts or something. Maybe it was in Oregon. It was one of those like top left or right states. I know that's a big area, but whatever, not important. They wanted to test to see if, because they had a large disparity in the stop rates of blacks versus right whites, they were seeing black people getting stopped at significantly higher rates than white people were, similar to how black people interact with the police more than white people do. Um, so they're saying, okay, are these people racially profiling? And now good poli good political scientists or good uh, criminal justice scientists, uh, just social scientists in general, were saying, okay, well, how can we measure this? And they came up with a bunch of variables and they effectively said, okay, if the cop can see the driver, then they can racially profile, right? Mm-hmm. Just based on that, because there's not a whole lot that you can put on your car that gives away your race, at least several years ago. Now you can put BLM and crap on your car and, or black, vote, black Voices for Trump or whatever it is. And then you can kind of figure out who it is. But for the most part, if you can see it, then you can do something about it. So during the day, they tracked the stops in a certain area uh, that had both black motorists and white motorists at a high rate for both. Uh, then they tracked it at night. And they said, okay, the hypothesis is that they were testing was once it gets too dark to see into the car, these rates should drop to accurately represent the portion of the population that is being pulled over, right? Theoretically, if, mm -hmm. if these people are racially profiling, during the day, you're going to see higher rates of blacks proportional to their percentage. But then at night, you're going to see that rate go down to where it should be, right? Because they're racially profiling. That's the hypothesis. It's a very strong hypothesis. I mean, it's it. I don't see really any Z variables that could confound it. 
um, outside of like what I said with decals, but even then you can't really see the decals uh, from far away. Uh, regardless, they test this theory, they collect a lot of data, uh, enough to be statistically significant, and they could draw causation from, which is important in social science. And this holds true across the country at this point. It's been replicated a couple of times. There's no change. <laughs> There's just no change. Uh, if anything, it gets worse for black people at night. Um, and I'm assuming that has something to do with gang violence. But uh, that that is just that is just an assumption. That's not something that's based on data. What I was saying before is they don't see this change. So this what what's going on is there's a change in behavior between the two groups of people that isn't you know is has nothing to do with necessarily their race I guess. Um, and what I'm what I'm getting at here is that you can test a lot of the stuff and you can mm -hmm. normally find out hey most cops like most Americans not racist. Right. There are some that are. There are some that are just giant turds, just like there are a lot of giant turd Americans. But most of the time, out of the millions of interactions with police officers, not a whole lot of racism going around, not enough racism to fit the demand that there is right now. Right. And I mean, that this just goes back to when they were asking people, OK, how many how many black people do you think are you know killed by cops yeah. per year? And, um, you know, even oh, I love that study. That was great. Yeah. Even Republicans were saying even Republicans were saying oh, a few hundred uh, leftists were saying like thousands, absolutely tens thousands, of thousands. Tens, tens of thousands. thousands. They were saying and... the option for, for those of you not familiar with the study, because this is, again, my field. Of, this is my field of study. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a poll essentially was given out to Democrats, independents and conservatives. And it split up like very left, leaning left, centrist, very uh, slightly right, you know, very right or whatever you know the groups are um and as you move to from left to right you got more accurate <laughs> in your assessment of the question and the question was on average per percentage of the population how many black people are killed 10,000 1,000 110 or one okay the correct answer is actually i think it was like 19 19 right yep. it was the correct answer and uh a plurality of conservatives got that or, or hard conservatives and then as you moved across you got more and more off until you got to the far left where they're thinking like 10,000s of, or like more, 100,000, you know, are being killed or whatever, uh, just way off because they believe CNN, which is full of lies. Yeah. So, so I mean, you see, you see that. So their, their messaging is effective. That, that's what yeah. I wanted to get across there. But so this is a problem. No, no doubt. A single person being killed, if they're, if they're unarmed, do not pose a threat and didn't do anything to provoke yeah, police. Every life lost is an issue. Yes, Correct. that is that's a problem, and but it's a problem that affect that is not racially motivated. If anything, it's more it's closer to class motivation than anything else. But right. it's something that we can sit down and talk about. So like the uh, like red flag laws, no no knock raids. These are things that can affect people, um, regardless of race, and they're things that are bad. And so, for example, last year Tim Scott had a bill, the Breonna Taylor bill, that would have addressed this very issue yeah. the left destroyed him for it called him an uncle tom and everything they actually filibustered that bill mm -hmm. the, it was the um it was it was a uh, justice it was called the justice act and uh, you know it was an anagram yeah. for something but they actually filibustered it which apparently is now racist but they were doing it so to oh, a black yeah man. well it's it's only <laughs> right. bad it's only bad as long as the republicans are using yeah. it Other, and i want to pause it i want to pause it along with with what's you know you were saying like the reason why we're seeing this and and why this is all going on is i think it comes back to religion again you have the apparently according to the irs the religion of the right is christianity right according to not according to me although i agree with it 
according to the IRS, the Internal Revenue Service of the United States, the religion of the right, or, or at least Christianity, is the religion of the right, okay? On the left, you have what is known as secular progressivism. You have your priests in secular progressivism. You have your original sin. It is basically the dark shadow of Christianity. If you look at Christianity, a lot of what they have in Christianity, particularly Catholicism, they have in secular progressivism. You can confess your environmental sins, right, to MSNBC for whatever reason. You have your priests. You have Dr. Fauci and Joe Biden. If you looked at that, uh, it was a couple of weeks ago, but if you look at that uh, together uh, uh, press press release, I don't know. I don't really know what they're doing, but they're set up like priests. You can look at the table and it looks very much like an altar. Uh, you can look at anything that they're going to trust the science. It's like saying trust in God, right? It's effectively the same thing. What's the science? Well, science, as a scientist myself, is a process of understanding the world. Trusting the science is saying trust whatever these guys in white lab coats have to say. Trust your priests. Yeah, so I can, I can see, I can definitely see the analogy. Um, and I do think that there are aspects of the left that you know, draw heavily on the idea of cults or religions. And like progressives, not necessarily liberals. Yes. Yes. And that's why I say the, the, the left, not, not liberals or whatever, because there is a distinction. Liberals, liberals are just, they're a whole different class of people than progressives. Well, and it's important to note too, that like yeah. we've seen over the last few years that a lot of, you know, conservative, you know, conservative Democrats and even some more, uh, you know, traditionally liberal Democrats are yeah. moving over to the right now. Yeah. Yeah. Tim, you know, Tim Poole, uh, Jeff Van Drew, Joe Manchin, realistically, is a Democrat in name only at this point, whereas 10 years ago, he is absolutely a Democrat. I mean, he still does a lot of Democrat things, but he, he, is, he is a moderate, like Kristen Cinema, like Lisa Murkowski, um, that chicken Maine, I can't remember her name. I don't know. Um, I don't know. But there, there's a lot of moderates in the Senate right now, and, but a majority of them are on the Republican side. Mitt Romney, for example. Well, and you can tell because they break all the time whenever it matters. But anyway. Yeah. Um, but the other, the other, the last thing I want to point out here, because we could literally go on about this for hours. Um, but you look at the predominant ideology. So we were talking earlier, what does it mean to be an American? Well, now the, I, there's a ton of ideologies popping up to counter, you know, what it means, you know, American culture. But the dominant one is Marxist ideology. At the end of the day, yeah. A lot of these ideologies draw on that. I think, yeah, I think part partly because it it's the exact antithesis of what it meant to be an American for the last hundred years, uh, hundred plus years, and they want to be as edgy and anti, you know, traditional American as possible. Um, but also, I think because of how the ideology, Marxist ideology it, itself is structured, it's meant to be subversive and very persuasive to those looking for either to get out of a, you know, tyrannical situation in the case of like Russia, for example, or in our, in our case, you know, realistically, people who are lost and wanting, needing something to direct their lives. And so we, the America is in, I would call, I would call it the second stage of a communist revolution where Marxist ideology has gone beyond the universities and has bled its way into, into politics, the military, mainstream media, every single cultural institution. Yes. And so that's why, you know, again, back to 
learn more about Nightmare Media. Why do we start this channel? One of the reasons was to, you know, highlight conversations like this because Patrick and I, we we are traditionally conservative Americans. We 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 believe in, well, I hang on. We believe culturally. We believe in, you know, the you know, a stronger together America. And that's the exact antithesis of what this Marxist ideology is is proposing. You know, that the, they that ideology wants segregation. They want to tear America apart, and whereas we want to see a stronger, unified yeah. uh, American culture. And I mean, so the the question becomes, how do we? You know, for me, this is this is a question I have to ask myself all the time. How do I simultaneously? believe in the idea that every person can decide for themselves and i want to have these conversations i don't i don't want to be locking up communists because of their ideology because i don't want to be locked up for my ideology but um at the same time how do how do we combat this uh this communist revolution that we're facing locking them up i i don't think that's an answer i know i I know you don't like that answer and and uh, you know i I would be okay with locking up communists, but that would not be my first my first step. That would be more of like a final, you know, like option that we would have. You know, if this was like the worst situation where and I don't think that it's the worst situation where like I said when we started out, I think I have a lot of hope. I really do going forward. I think that I'm seeing a lot of really good signs from a lot of people our age. Like I said, a lot of people are waking up to a lot of the issues. We're just coming out you know, we have different solutions and that's totally fine. We're going to figure out which solution is the best and move forward with that one. Um, I have a lot of optimism for a lot of people my age. I think that they're simultaneously really dumb and also really smart at the same time. <laughs> um, I and I, think I, I that... will say that Gen Z is the first generation to be more conservative. Yeah, than the previous generation. Yes. And I think that that is a sign, like a lot of Gen Z people are learning from the mistakes of the millennials. Millennials, I'm sorry, you guys got kind of screwed uh, in a lot of ways, which is really unfortunate. Um, but Gen Z is learning, you know, we're being ind- uh, independent in a lot of ways. Uh, we're not settling for just working for some random corp. We're going to start our own. Uh, in a lot of ways, we are rediscovering traditional values. Uh, I mean... The, take porn, okay? I think this is something we've never talked about. Um, porn is bad. Yeah. <laughs> and, okay, and if you disagree with me, that's too bad. You're wrong. Um, but the, the, the interesting thing is that the people that are leading the charge against porn are young men, right? Which are their target demographic, okay? I'm sorry, uh, you know... I'm pretty sure I want to say uh, north of 90% of the people that watch porn are, are young men. Okay. But they're leading the charge and people go, Oh, well you used porn you've, or you've used porn or whatever. Uh, you know, why are you, why are you trying to stop it? It's like, okay, who better than the crack addict knows the negative effects of crack? Maybe someone close to him, but still if so, the, the recovering crack addict, right. Right. Or, or the recovering heroin addict. Someone who has used that product knows the negative effects of that product and will campaign against it. And that's what we're seeing. That's what we see that the, the no fat movement. There's effectively at least two months out of the years where you don't do it, supposedly. 
you're not supposed to at least november and february is is in internet culture you are not supposed to watch porn or masturbate or anything like that right and it's been growing it used to be only Fe only jan or sorry november. It used to be only november with the no shave november thing it was part of that uh and then it grew into its own thing now in, in february but it still happens in november and we're seeing this crusade and i think that that it just as a, as a slice of society is very hopeful for me that we're looking to reclaim our morality. We're looking to get some standards. We want to reinsert basic understanding of right and wrong back into the culture after the moral relativists have tried to destroy it to the best of their abilities. We are coming back. It is going to be glorious in the next 10 to 15 years. I can really see a resurgence of strong will. And I'm not talking about like macho men. I'm talking strong-willed women. I'm talking strong-willed men who are going to have a lot of self-respect for good reasons. I think, and, and I tell this to my wife all the time, I, sometimes I, I get down on myself because I, I don't feel respected by myself. And the reason I don't always feel respected is because what am I doing that's worthy of respect? And I think that we're going to see a lot of people in general that are going to be doing a lot of things worthy of respect rather than just begging for respect and saying, this should be normalized, this should be this, this should be that. They did something. They are now getting respected for it. They have earned it. And that earned respect will be more, that, that earned respect will repair, repair all of society if we all engage in that, I think. And welcome to hard times create strong people. But anyway, so that was a very long and in-depth conversation. And there's so much more that Patrick and I can could. I barely touched the surface and I had to hold myself back a yes. lot of issues. Yes, but that's why we have a podcast, so we can always talk about this, you know, in future episodes. But we wanted to, you know, show you where we're coming from on on the culture cultural issues, so that when you watch future podcasts and you think, well, that you know, why is he talking about something? You know, why why are they choosing to talk about this or coming? Yeah. Why why is this their opinion? Watch this episode, and boom, you'll you'll be able to know. Hey, so, as objective as we can in the podcast, we want to give. I, I have a. Like I have a pretty good understanding of the other side for the most part. Uh, I still think that they're dumb because I, I mean, like if I've said in the previous podcast, I'm I used to be default liberal, um, and I was ensconced in that culture. So I see both sides of the issue. I don't see the progressive side because I think that that's just I've never was progressive. I was like, as a default liberal, it means something. Right. But um, you know, I we try to be as objective as possible. We try to be as nonpartisan or bipartisan rather as possible. But sometimes we do slip up a little bit. But so you guys can now understand where we come from with these episodes. Yeah. So thank you guys for watching. Um, especially thank you guys if you've watched this future episode and you come back and like watch this to understand why we said what we did. Oh, until we update it again. Yes. Yes. We'll have to update this periodically because people change. Yeah. And I've that's, changed. That's how, that's, that's how people work. Um, yeah. But thank you guys for watching. Um, we do have the podcast every... Uh, right now, it's every Monday and Friday. We do sometimes have it on Saturdays. We have uh, conflicting schedules. So make sure to tune to that, 7 p.m. Central Time. Check out some of our other shows and also come and hang out with us on Twitch. Um, Travis, Mike, you know, you've seen them on the podcast before they come stream. So, yep. yeah, thank you guys for uh, hanging out and we'll see you guys in the next one.